0: You're listening to Talking Europe, the podcast from the UCL European Institute. My name is Avery Annapol and I'm the Institute's digital editor. Today, I am joined by three researchers in UCL's School of Slavonic and East European Studies, whose new edited volume brings together the fascinating pairing of rock music and research. Here to talk about multilingual metal music, sociocultural, linguistic, and literary perspectives on heavy metal lyrics is Dr. Rita Lisa Valiarvi, Associate Professor in Finnish and Minority Languages, and PhD candidates Charlotte Duisberg and Amanda DeGioia. Can you start by telling me a little bit about the book, um, so the research in it and how it came about?
1: So Charlotte... um... Amanda uh, and myself uh, met a few years ago. And at the time, Charlotte and Amanda were already working on uh, Finnish metal. And I, I believe I was their Finnish teacher then. And we had discussions about their, their PhD work and, and metal music in general. And I had then sort of looked at Finnish pop lyrics um, and analyzed representations of Finland in them. And we realized that we kind of approach lyrics and songs and music from different points of view. So Amanda, does sort of critical studies, gender studies, sociology, Charlotte, maybe more literary studies, cultural studies, folklore. And I, of course, have the sort of language element there very, very strongly. And then I sort of had the idea that we should Do a conference on this topic and explore lyrics uh, written in languages other than English. Because there's quite a lot of research about the um, themes in English uh, language heavy metal. And it would be nice to look at the songs written in languages other than English. This was in 2018, in September, I believe, this conference. And after the conference, we proposed a book to Emerald, which is a publisher. And they have a series in metal music and culture this proposal was successful. And then we asked the people who presented the conference to contribute. And the general theme of the conference and also of the book is sort of how or why uh, you write lyrics in, in languages other than than English and what they do. Uh, Amanda will talk more about the sort of sub themes and, and chapters in in, the, in our volume. But generally one could say that if you choose to sing metal or write lyrics in in languages other than English, you're either kind of perhaps celebrating the culture, using it as some kind of marker of identity, you might just use it for wordplay and humor purposes, sort of for entertainment, or you could use these lyrics to make the music sound more extreme, so it's almost like it's more impenetrable if you use, use some obscure language or, or some specific language. Or you could use the lyrics or the different language as a kind of instrument. Or you could recycle text. You could kind of use text like folk poetry um, and combine it with with metal, which creates an interesting contrast. Or, which we'll hopefully discuss later, is also sort of counteract globalization, everything becoming the same. So there are many reasons why, and that's what we wanted to explore with this book. But you could, of course, read the book, to find out about a specific metal scene. I don't know, the Swedish-speaking minority in Finland or Spanish-language scene or the kawaii, the kind of cute, cute baby metal um, in in Japan. So those are the different ways in in which you can kind of read the book and also what you find out uh, in the book.
0: So are these um, artists that you've looked at or that the researchers in the book have looked at, are they performing in exclusively one language or do they often uh, write a song or two in a language that's different than what their their native
1: language is? Many of them I would say and Amanda and can correct me if I'm wrong will combine like they will sing in English but they will also have have lyrics in in other languages some are exclusively in, in one language and we also have um chapters on on um metal where latin is used just elements it's like words are used and, and sort of snippets so it's not that the whole song is in one language you can also mix.
0: So you said the um, this publication started out as a conference can you tell me a little bit about just describe what that conference was like and I'm picturing an academic conference filled with heavy metal fans might be a little different than a lot of people are used to.
2: Yeah I think that's a really interesting question because on the one hand we like to think of these conferences perhaps as like for people who don't go to them, it's quite different. Um, but I think actually, the official program of the conference is probably very similar to any other conference program. And people who go there are academics and metal fans. I'd say about 99% of the time they are metal fans as well. Um, but what I would say that for me, like personally, what I have experienced is a little different is a really, really strong community feeling at the conferences, because the field is relatively new and it's relatively small. So most scholars will know each other. And if they supervise a new student, they will encourage these students to go. And, um, you know, if they, if those students feel ready, they, they are encouraged to present as well. And they're taking very seriously. Uh, they're really given a lot of feedback. And um, I personally met students who were writing or going to write their master's thesis. And like a couple of, you know, the older ones or however you want to call it, they would, um, you know, talk about, oh, maybe you could write this or maybe we can do this. Or it's a really safe environment to discuss your ideas, gain feedback. And once you're, you're sort of, you know, you know more people in the field, It just feels like a really, really fun reunion. But I don't think that super nice atmosphere detracts from the professionalism of the papers or the questions and the feedback that is given.
1: What I wanted to add to the specific conference that we organized was that um, everyone was wearing black, so that was... To be expected but also it was the nicest conference apparently nicest attendees that CIS had had with us so they said that there was such nice people so this sort of supports what Charlotte says a very inclusive not competitive and just really really nice atmosphere
3: I agree with everything Charlotte and Rita have said but I remember my first um, metal music studies conference I was still a master's student and I brought all these professional clothes Uh, to wear. And then I showed up to the conference and everyone was wearing, I mean, what I would consider normal clothes, like all black, like the the band t-shirts, hoodies. And I was (laughs) just so taken aback that I uh, clearly brought the wrong wardrobe. I should have just stuck with the t-shirts and the hoodies.
0: So Amanda and Charlotte, your research is specifically on metal. And I, I take it you were fans of, of the genre before you began your PhD programs. And how did you go from being just casual listeners to actively researching in this field?
3: I was a counselor for teenage girls before I began uh, my PhD program. And even though it's a very rewarding job, sometimes when you work with teenagers, it's also very stressful. So to decompress um, after my shift, uh, I would typically watch a documentary. So I went on YouTube and I saw a documentary on metal music in Finland. And my, uh, the supervisor I came to seize for, uh, Tidus Yelm, was in this documentary. And I was doing my master's in uh, women's and gender studies. And I thought, hmm, has anyone done this on Finnish metal? So I researched it and didn't find much. So I said, perhaps I can fill this gap. And I guess the rest is history. For me,
2: similarly to Amanda, my studies and the sort of interest in metal music were really quite separate for me. I mean, it was sort of a reason to study Finnish, but I had loads more reasons to study it. And then, yeah, when I started my PhD program, that's when the two sort of came together. I remember during my bachelor's, I actually thought about researching this project, but I was afraid there wouldn't be enough to study. So I didn't do it. And I'm kind of happy about that. And I have the same supervisor as Amanda had, and I want to write about Finnish folk poetry because that's what I've written about in my master's and my bachelor's thesis. So, because our supervisor also in a metal band, he was like, oh, you should write about metal and Finnish folk poetry. And then at the start of my studies, I was kind of worried I wouldn't find enough material. I was thinking in the back of my head, maybe there's this gap because there's nothing there. Like, maybe I'll find nothing which probably says more about me as just a natural worrier. Because when I started my research, I kept finding more and more and more lyrics. Um, Yeah, I do approach the whole scene a little bit differently now. And I think Amanda will probably agree with me that you sort of have this perspective of a researcher where you just see things happen or you hear things in songs and then you get questions that you wanna, that you just wanna answer and you're constantly
3: thinking of fun new projects or articles you could write. I think the best part of this whole uh, process has been meeting Charlotte and Rita, and he just told me that there was someone else doing folk poetry and metal, and, oh, look, you can have a friend. And it's just been very wonderful in that regard. I'm also
2: really happy that, you know, Amanda started at the same time as me. We both started at the same year. Uh, I think at UCL, we were really kind of seen as the, the weird ones that study metal, probably. But even though we're a small group of people, it feels like we're,
0: we're really connected through, through this. Well, that's lovely. And it's so nice that um, you've gone from co-researchers to friends to co-editors. So it's, um, that's great when that happens. Uh, Rita, let's talk a bit about your background, which is in linguistics, specifically in minority languages. So this exploration of metal music was a bit of a diversion. Has it taken your work in any interesting directions?
1: Yes, I would say. So minority languages are often marginalized, so they don't get to use the language in school or in official contexts or even sometimes at home, home even if they may have lost it. And I sort of found out that much like, I don't know, hip hop or any modern music genre can be a way for the minority language community to sort of assert themselves and, and their identity. So if you're seeing metal in in a minority language it's a modern language it can be used for anything even for metal you could you could think like this and also these aggressive dark aesthetics and and the therapeutic function of metal which we'll talk about later again i'm sure are relevant for oppressed uh, minority communities and also this this project further strengthened my belief that the more genres there are for an endangered small language, literary genres, TV shows and music genres, the more vital it is. And if you've got a metal scene in, in a minority language, then it's doing really well. So I would like to explore this further and look at, I don't know, comic books maybe in different, different endangered or minority languages and see what that means and, and how, how they've written comic books in, in minority languages.
0: So let's um pivot back to the research in the book. There are so many languages in the in the collection from Yiddish to Slovenian to Taiwanese. What sort of universal themes did um your researchers find across
3: these lyrics? I uh, think and Charlotte and Rita are welcome to correct me. Um that some things that kind of tie our various chapters altogether in the book are um, various discussions on intertextual and interlingual dialogues, um, as well as cultural identity and authenticity. Um, There's also numerous discussions on uh, dialects and nation building uh, and even political activism uh, through metal music. I don't know if uh, Charlotte or Rita have anything
1: to add. Oh, that's definitely, uh, these are some of the recurring themes and they're interconnected. And yeah, nationhood, it kind of ancient mythology plays a part because uh, that's one way of kind of exploring your being unique is by exploring um, your past uh, in a way. And then this one strand is also using metal music or metal lyrics as a way of dealing with trauma also, dealing with sort of national trauma and war, and also, yeah, this entertainment function that I mentioned at the beginning is is there, or is it uh, somehow challenging the macho culture that you have in metal? I don't know. There are many, many interconnected th- themes, and just like Amanda said, this using this intertextuality and and using using text again is very interesting, and this is something that Charlotte um studies in in her. Uh, project because she looks at Finnish folk poetry in uh, Finnish metal so this seems to be a thing and it's not only in folk metal where you do this it's done in other other genres as well
0: well I think the best way to convey some of this is to hear some examples so you've brought with you two clips will you tell me a little bit about the clips that you've chosen and and how you would approach these from your differing perspectives
2: So, the the clip that I have chosen is by a band called Kotiteolusus. It means something like handicraft or cottage industry. The song that I I chose is part of my research and it's called uh, Lemminkaisen Laulu. It translates to English as the song of (laughs)
1: Lemminkainen.
2: Lemminkainen is uh, one of the main characters in the Finnish folk op- epic, the Kalawala. And he is sort of this best described probably as a type of Casanova, but like every other hero in the epic, he's so flawed, which is one of the things I enjoy about this epic, because you've got these epic stories, but then the main characters are all kind of flawed in different ways. So the song, um, deals with the beginning of the story in which uh, Lemminkainen goes to this island and he uh, tries to flirt with all the women there of course. And there's like the most beautiful one uh, who's called Kunliki and he wants to get married to her and eventually she does agree, but she's very modern, I think, because she insists on some terms and conditions. So she's like, you better sign these T and, T's and C's first. And um, they get married. And then in the epic story, Lemming kind of thinks that Kuliki, his new wife, actually breaks one of these terms and goes out to the village to dance. It's like from the story, we don't really know whether she actually goes out or not, but he, he just reacts. Um, like, he doesn't verify any of the details, he just takes his revenge because he leaves and he decides, oh, I'm going to flirt with women in another part of, of the country. And in the sort of the excerpt, the story from the Kalawala is updated because instead of Lemmengainen going out and going into like these epic warfare fights, he goes to bars and he gets completely drunk and he ends up in a bar fight and i actually drew the conclusion that lemminkainen is a representative for finnish men, so both from his own time and from his fictional epic times as well sometimes this my interpretation gets questioned but i actually managed to talk to the writer of the song called joni hunnen and um, i'll quote from this interview now he said lemminkainen is all the stupid men who like to sit in bars and work more than stay at home with their wife and family And um, I also asked him about how he likens this, you know, sitting in bars and and fighting and getting drunk, um, how he likens it to a war uh, in the song. And he said of that, um, every time the man goes to a bar or plays gigs, it's a war. Against what? Against nothing. So actually this song is really critical of Finnish men and it kind of makes fun of these traditional norms of masculinity which when we talk about metal music is perhaps a little bit unexpected if we don't know the genre that well. Um, And another thing, the final thing that I really like about this song is that it's not just taking the story from the Kalawalla but it's also interweaving other sources from Finnish culture. Um, So it adapts a really famous Finnish poem by a writer called Alexis Kiwi and Alexis Kivi is credited as the first uh writer of a Finnish novel, which is called "Saats veljestä. it's the Seven Brothers. everyone in Finland knows it everyone everyone has read it. It's a coming of age story, really, and these brothers tell each other different stories within the book, and one of them is a poem about a squirrel and in the song Lemminkainen and Laulu," this squirrel acts as a little metaphor for the love between Lemminkainen and Kuliki. And at the end of the song, I mean, this is a bit of a spoiler alert if you're going to listen to the whole song, but the squirrel dies because the love dies as well. So that's another source that is like interwoven in this song, because if you look at the lyrics of the song and you put the poem next to it, you'll find that the sentences are sometimes almost an exact match and they kind of play with little things within the sentences in the song. And then finally, the song was also inspired by another uh, pop song by folk rocker Lauri Techka. The song is similar because it also tells of a couple who fall in love. But in Techka's song, the the ending is different because they live happily ever after. Johnny Hunan actually changed this because he felt that this represented life better and he found the other song boring and cheerful. And I just think that's a really good good reaction. If you don't like a song, write your own song and make it different.
0: A significance to um, this band taking these really strong pillars of Finnish culture and, and combining them in that way? I think so. Um, they're like one of the few bands
2: that I look at that have so many sources within their lyrics. And when I talk to, to uh, Yoni Hununan, who writes these lyrics, he he just says he can get inspired by so many different things. And I think that, yeah, his most of his songs are really grounded in Sort of these markers or these ideas on Finnish national identity, but he's also very critical of it. When I talked to him about Finnish national identity, he was also the, one of the, my few interviewees who was critical of that identity and said, you know, it's really positive on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's, there's also these negative aspects to it. And I really feel like every, almost every song I see from this band, even if it's not inspired by Calleval, it does show this more critical attitude towards that identity.
3: The Danish example is from Dr. Lind's chapter in our book on bereavement, locality and intimacy in Orm's lyrics. So um, what I found interesting is Lind says that the lyrics and music of Orm can cause the listener Uh, to have the potential, and I quote uh, Lind here, to embrace the unspeakable as if ORM created um, a suicide postvention, i.e. counseling or support for the bereaved of their own in the shape of black metal music. I am not arguing that black metal is therapy, but I do suggest that black metal might do some therapeutic work in listeners and musicians in specific contests such as processing grief. Now, this statement builds off of Lynn's argument within the chapter itself that um, the lyrics of this band can propel people to process death, dying, and bereavement when um, someone in their lives uh, dies by suicide. I used metal lyrics when counseling my former clients. There was a metal song that had a title that was the same as my client's foster mother, which they missed a lot. So, I took printed out the lyrics of that song and asked them how they felt and processed those feelings through that. But this chapter from Dr. Lind is so wonderful, and I'm so happy that we have it because I think it connects um, all these feelings of intimacy and just transcending uh, to a greater form.
1: I would say this album by Orm is called Ear, which is like Grease, or Copper. It counteracts the kind of assumption that metal is always. Pop culture because it's really beautiful. the The album, the cover art, is a concept album. It's really, really um, well thought through. And I read an article in Danish about this album. They talk about this that can it can metal be high culture? And that clip is from a song that's twenty three minutes long. Uh, but. Uh, yeah.
0: both spoken about um, these themes of trauma and oppression and uh, the intersection of cultural texts and expression, um, and also the strong current of identity that's in a lot of this music. So do you see these, these lyrics as connecting in any way to some of the current issues um, currently affecting Europe, such as migration, uh, political upheaval, anything like that?
1: Yes, definitely. I myself, I've looked at Estonian metal. And there was a kind of rise in the number of metal bands and folk metal specifically after the end of the Soviet era. And it was like this search for national identity and it found its expression in in folk metal. And even during sort of oppressive regimes, metal can be a kind of outlet and you can hide some subversive messages in it through the choice of texts. And in our book, um, there's an analysis of a, of a Spanish song that is an anti-war song, and it's set in uh, former Yugoslavia. So definitely metal can be a place uh, to discuss uh, war, and there are many, many anti-war songs. So it's not always about battles, the metal lyrics aren't always about that. And then definitely there's a link to, to migration. There's a lot of migration in Europe, and with difficult economic situation, and migration combined comes far-right leanings. And there is metal music where the lyrics are, are questionable and need to be approached critically and analysed. And I would say two countries in the world with the highest number of metal bands per capita are Finland and Norway. Both countries kind of similar with beautiful nature, um, interesting history, trolls and so on. And if you think about why are these two countries so keen on metal music, I would like to claim, I'm not the only one who said this, but there's something to do with globalization and, and EU and sort of feeling that your small country's national identity is somehow threatened again. I'm not sure if this is the only, only explanation, um, but a lot of the song lyrics are about nature, interestingly, in, in Norway. And this kind of globalization, it's also the reason why Finland, for example, has decided somehow that Metal is the national genre of music, in addition to classical music, of course. And we feel special because we have so many metal bands and so so much metal music. Amanda and Charlotte perhaps have something to add.
2: Yeah, I was going to talk about, because I talked to these uh, different artists that use this Finnish folk poetry. And a lot of them um, said something about how it's just a lot easier to use something from your own culture, because you probably have a lot more knowledge on that as well. Um, and yeah, you can maybe interpret it as a, as a move against globalization, but it can also just be very simple in the sense that, oh, I'll just stick with what I know and I stick with what I grew up with. But there's definitely also, I think, a sense of pride in, in, for a lot of these artists in their culture. And, but on the same time, as Rita said, this, um, it is used by the far right but most of the or some of the people that i talked to they were very adamant in their interviews that they didn't want to be associated with the far right uh that's not what our songs are about and there was even one uh instance where a member was accused of using some far right words in his lyrics and he was really upset about it because he said that he never wanted it to be sort of used in that way so it's interesting to see how in some bands they they actually are far right and in other bands they're, they're totally the opposite of that and i think that also speaks about the variety within the metal genre of everyone can make their own music and and put in their
0: own opinions and, and things like that and it's it's a genre for everyone So let's um, talk a little bit about the different methodologies used in the book because there's so many varying perspectives here. What have you learned from these different approaches and and bringing them all together in one volume?
3: I think the book's a great place for people that want um, a broad what can you do with metal lyrics kind of methodology because no matter what methodology you prefer to use, I know that it's represented most likely in this book. The chapter on Yiddish uh, uses uh, post-vernacularity very uh, heavily. Uh, That's a term derived by Jewish studies scholar Jeffrey Chandler, and it refers to the life of a language after it has ceased to be spoken as an everyday language. Uh, Other uh, methodologies used uh, are representations of minority languages, political activism and metal. Uh, feminist geography and bereavement studies, language and cultural specific humor, and cultural appropriation and uh, issues surrounding Islamophobia in the chapter on Spanish metal music, lyrics,
1: and El Cid. And what I'd like to add that we have two quantitative corpus studies, so people have actually counted occurrences of Latin words in one, and then uh, different Slovenian deities and, and mythical things. And that was refreshing. That was very interesting. And classic kind of poetic literary analysis is, is still alive and can give a lot. That was also really nice. Um, many of them end up being yeah cultural studies, critical studies, papers. But yeah, just like Amanda said, that if you want an introduction to the to, to study of metal music lyrics, I think this book is good. So you all
0: touched on this um, a little bit before, but I'd like to close by asking that um, metal music and alternative culture is very often still stigmatized in the media and the rest of the world. Uh, How do you see your research is helping to mitigate this or or combat it? I think that research like this certainly has the potential
2: um, to mitigate the stigmatization of the genre but it's getting the media to listen. That's actually the hard part or the difficult part because sometimes it seems like certain media sources are way more interested in making metal and video games and things like that seem like the bad guys. Um, But I do think there's an increase almost in studies on metal and media has slowly started to pick up on this and pick up on sort of beneficial effects of metal. Um, So we talked about mental health earlier And there was a very recent study that showed uh, metal music was really effective in lowering blood pressure and reducing anxiety, actually in 89% of the cases. And that was picked up on by mainstream media. And then another study uh, that showed that metal fans in general reported higher levels of happiness was also uh, featured by The Guardian, for example. And I think that the research done in the book that we co-edited, in different ways does challenge these negative stereotypes about metal music and that it's always about aggression and violence like we talked about war songs and pacifist songs there's a lot of examples like this one in our book but there's also just black sabbath's war pigs which is quite famous there's metallica's one also pretty famous there's also these examples of songs that involve parody and our humor so called Ruja. Uh, writes about the Italian band Nano band Nano War of Steel, who make fun of Italian culture but also of the metal scene. And then Lewis Kennedy writes on the Japanese band Baby Metal. I would definitely encourage people if they haven't heard of this band to go check that one out. Both these bands really parody like parts of their own culture and the and the scene in general. And I think that that's something that outside of you know people who don't listen to metal don't know that this happens. And then going back again to the Danish song uh, by Autumn, Uh, you know, metal can really help with uh, processing trauma and mental health issues. And I think that part of that is also addressed in our book. There's this sort of idea, especially when metal um, first in the 70s and the 80s, it was seen as like this white collar genre that sort of working class people would listen to it and, and working class people would make it. And even though in metal studies, it's completely thrown out of the window, I think in sort of mainstream media, it's still quite often seen as that because it's so violent and aggressive and there's nothing else to it when actually there is. There's so many examples in my own research, but also in in other research in the book that actually these artists can be really knowledgeable on cultural events or cultural uh, products, on historic events and use those in the lyrics as well and actually accurately uh, describe historical events too. To so conclude, I think there's like loads of ways in the research we do that tells the world that metal music is about so much more than the media will tell us. And I do think there's some like little shifts taking place already, showing a more nuanced
1: side of the genre. Being finished, to me, metal is mainstream. I don't know whether our research challenges that, but like in. The more you hear about it, the more is played on the radio, more research is conducted on it, the more normal it becomes. And I wouldn't say there's stigma associated with it. And we have heavy metal versions of Christmas songs. And if my mom heard it, who's not a metalhead, most certainly not, heard it on the radio, she wouldn't change the channel.
3: I have a unique perspective on that, too, because my parents listen to this genre. My father knows more about the scene than I do, probably. But even though um, the media's perception on metal is changing, I also think that we should take caution because the media will cover uh, what interests it. And if an article that comes out saying metal's inclusive, it's all great, that kind of article is more likely to come out than something, say, I would write that would say that, oh, there's still all these uh, problems and challenges regarding gender issues in metal. and We still have so much work to do. So I just think that's something to keep in mind when we discuss this.
0: Before we wrap up our interview, I'd love to hear more about what you're all working on now, either
1: in the metal studies space or otherwise. Maybe I'll go first to get the language, language stuff out of the way. So I I recently, we I co-authored a grammar of West Greenlandic, and we did pretty cool research alongside that we did like Linguistic Landscapes, that's come out that paper that we took pictures in, in the streets of Nuuk, the capital of Greenland. So that, that's a fun project I was involved in. I'm also working on a paper on country branding and more representations of Finland, like this Sisu concept, which I guess is perseverance or guts and, and marketing, like Tom of Finland, the gay icon, how his pictures have been used in pet sheets and what that means. So this is something I'm looking at at the moment. And I've also started a new project um, Documenting and describing variation in meänkieli, what's that That's a language very, very close related to Finnish spoken in northern Sweden and and there are a couple of other like textbooks and grammar books in in the pipeline. So I'll just
3: mention three things uh well. Regarding metal stuff, I would like to finish my PhD by 2022, so I'm working on that. I had a um, chapter, though, of my thesis published in Metal Music Studies on depictions of motherhood in Finnish heavy metal music. I cited Charlotte in it non-metal stuff i had a monograph come out through routledge in october of 2020 about dueling toxic masculinity and the cultural imagination and i just submitted my third uh monograph to emerald and that will be on birth and parenting in uh, the blade runner and alien universes by ridley scott
2: Yeah, like Amanda, I'm trying to finish my PhD and get my doctorate, so everyone has to call me doctor all the time. Uh, Obviously, that's a joke. Um, And I'm trying to get some articles published, so I also submitted to the journal that Amanda talked about just now, Metal Music Studies and then rita and i also wrote an article on this finnish pop music duo called kalawapistefi their lyrics are based on online forum threads uh and the outcome can be really funny again we're making fun of finnish men actually i see a trend emerging right here because it's like most of these forums are written by women uh, but the pop music duo that sings them are men so you get this really interesting cross connection between of was written by women about men and then it's being sung by men so there's like a lot of layers that we unpack there and then i'm also thinking about what what i want to do after i finish my phd and one of the things that i came across during my research was that um, some bands really use like i said these historic sources with really a lot of accuracy and they actually read academic publications on historic events and I would really like to maybe uh, get into that a bit more and find out why they're doing that and whether that's important that they're being so accurate in their lyrics. And, but yeah, there's, there's just loads of ideas in my head now of possible, possible things I can do after this. And this is one of them right now.
0: Well, thank you for a fascinating conversation and congratulations on the book. And I, I hope our listeners will check out some of this research. Multilingual Metal is available as a hardback or ebook from Emerald Publishing. You can find the UCL European Institute and more episodes of Talking Europe on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, and on our UCL website. Thanks for listening.